Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call. To join Allworth's Money Matters, call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome to Allworth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen. Pat McLean. Glad you are with us as we talk about financial matters. Talk about um, things going on in the things that you cannot control, like the external markets. And things that you can. <laughs> like how you react to them. Yeah. Or what you do with your investments. Yes. I think one of the most important things we do as financial advisors is stop people from making irrevocable decisions regarding their money that will lead to a, a point in their lives that can be really harmful to their financial and psychological well-being over their whole lifetime, their whole lifetime. And, and some of those things might be putting your money into something you can't really get it back out, some illiquid type investment. That's right. Or something that's a massive surrender charge or some equity index annuity that you don't know what's going on behind the curtain. Or, or it's selling at the wrong time. Or buying a buying SPAC. Stup- something stupid at the wrong or time. Or non-traded REITs that you have no idea how they price or what the underlying investments. Yeah. Or Bitcoin. And we've got a good program today because we're going to talk about a couple of those things. Um, crypto and some lost savings. But uh, in the second part of our program, we've got uh, a psychologist who's an expert on, on financial behavior and behavioral decision-making and how it can impact our retirement. And his name is Hal Hirschfield, and he is a doctor uh, and is a professor of marketing behavioral decision-making at UCLA's Anderson School yeah, of So he'll management. be on later, and of course, we'll take your call. So we've got a great program, I think. We think so. Program. But I mean, listen, you'll get to be the judge by the time we're done with this thing. Before we go to the calls... And you might, when we start talking this, you might say, oh, that was, that was two weeks ago news. Um, but there's still things to learn from it. Um, and cryptocurrency has been a hot, well, I don't know, it's hot. It's been certainly a place that people have been talking about investing. Fidelity came out a few weeks ago and said they were going to start allowing it in 401ks. And when they did, <laughs> now, I think that was, was still when Bitcoin was $60,000 a coin or something, right? Yeah. I almost said an ounce. An ounce would actually have some something tangible to it. So, <laughs> Regardless of an ounce of what? I don't know. It whatever. doesn't even it's matter. An ounce. <laughs> Weight, liquid, doesn't matter. It's an ounce. It's an um, ounce. At least it's tangible. <laughs> so, uh, but then, and this happens to do with these stable, so-called stable coins. And by the way, the, uh, the regulators <laughs> did, did not embrace Fidelity's idea of putting for, uh, money into retirement plans, uh, crypto into retirement plans. They were not, uh, they didn't say, the regulators didn't say, wow, let's, how quickly can we start? The regulators said, hey, slow your roll. But some of these st- stable coins had these kind of pseudo savings accounts that were offering very attractive yields. Yes. 8%, 9%, 15%. I saw one a few months ago, 20%. They're going to pay you annualized 20%. They said it was safe and secure. Not FDIC insured, of course. Just safe and secure. <laughs> right? Just safe and secure. And I, and, and I remember looking at these a while back, like, where, where are they getting that money if it's a stable coin? Where are they getting the money? I mean, how can they pay... Anything over what a treasury would if it's a stable coin, which means it's. And it's it, how can they pay that if they're going to? There's a cost to stabilizing it. Yes. Right? <laughs> there's a cost to buy those, those contracts in order to make it stable. Yeah. Uh, so we saw Terra USD, stable coin, which USD means United States dollar. So it was supposedly. Supposed to stay stable like the U.S. dollar, but it wasn't backed by the U.S. dollar. It was backed by another cryptocurrency. Yeah, and this, but Terra had a, it was it was at a dollar per coin, so at a dollar, it fell to three cents. That's not super stable. (laughs) Call me (laughs) the unstable. I know only went to a state school, but that doesn't sound stable to me. 
And yeah, here's a marketed uh, Anchor Protocol. It's a sort of crypto bank. Offered annual yields of nearly 20% on deposits. People were kind of questioning, like, is this really possible? But we saw this implode. It was an algorithmic, algorithmic uh, stable coin, not backed by real assets. So it had another. So I actually listened to a couple of podcasts regarding this particular coin. There was another coin that was supposed to buy that coin, and they had some money behind it, but not a lot. And they said they used all that money to kind of support it. Quite frankly, where the money is made in this in the crypto stuff is the exchanges char- charges high as 2% commissions, 2% commissions, 2% commissions to trade on these. And you've got people trading on a daily basis. <laughs> so, you- <laughs> so these crypto exchanges, are, look, that's where the money's made. But my favorite part about this article in the Wall Street Journal was Keith Baldwin, a 44-year-old surgeon who lives outside New Bedford, Mast, saved 177000 during the past de- decade. Last year, he took his savings and bought USD, putting it in a crypto account that paid 9% annualized yield. USD coin. I guess that's another stable coin, right? Yes. So Let's hear how stable it is. Keith Baldwin puts $44,000 into it. Keith Baldwin, this thing kept sliding, 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 sliding. Basically wipes out all of Keith Baldwin's hard work. No, no, he lost just 90% of his savings. Yeah. So this was of his savings, 177. He feels badly about it. First of all, he sounds like a nice enough guy. He's a surgeon. For what were you thinking, given your name and such an embarrassing thing to the Wall Street <laughs> Journal? No, there's. I often, I often kind of wonder. Here's another guy, uh, Ben Thompson. Like, like Ben, what's wrong with you that you want notoriety so bad that you he, made he decided it? he was going to sell his Terra USD if the coin recovered to sixty five cents? He had trouble sleeping that night. He woke up the next morning and find it trading at ten cents. Hmm. So. I've had a number of, we've had a number of clients call and ask us about cryptocurrencies and um, our I, look, opinion has com- like, changed. The conf- people are traveling now again, right? I was at a conference a few months ago. I've been at a couple conferences in the last year. And um, most independent advisory firms like ourselves have not participated in crypto. But there's some that have. And there's certainly like pressure like, oh, your clients are going to demand this. You need to be, you need to uh, allow people to invest in, in crypto. And the thing I've, here's how I look at it. Like I can understand if there is an electronic currency and you're going to use that currency as a means to barter a transaction. You mean like PayPal? <laughs> <laughs> like that? Like Venmo? Like those? Well, it's a it's based upon the uh, blockchain ledger. Okay, I can understand that. What I can't understand is why a coin, in and of itself, an electronic coin, a virtual coin, is worth whatever it's worth. Which is why I don't look at it from an investment standpoint. Do we really need to participate? I had a conversation with I was at my daughter's volleyball tournament. My youngest daughter. I'm actually glad she's playing an indoor sport because my oldest daughter played lacrosse in Portland and would go up and watch the games in the, uh, and it was always freezing Why rain. Why is it always got to be about you? That's why I'm, that's what I think about most of my day myself. <laughs> okay. So come keep, on, let's be honest so here. You're in a volleyball game. Okay. <laughs> I'm having a conversation let's just stay on track. with another parent. This is before, this is a couple months ago before we started seeing what's happening. And he was asking me about crypto and he was talking about his friends doing this thing. And maybe he, and I said to him, I said, look, here's the, the, the reality is this. If you, participate in this and put some money in and it doesn't work out, you're going to lose that money. Unlike Keith Baldwin. Okay. doesn't work out. And if it works out, is it life change? Like you really think it's going to change your life? Like you, like, like this. And I said, here's how I look at it. I've done, I've done my own financial planning over the years. I've saved, I've invested, got to a point in life where I've got some financial security if I don't participate, whether I participate or not participate is kind of irrelevant. And participating, not going to bring me any joy and a high probability of loss. 
Why would I want to even buy? What's the point? What's the point? Yeah. How is my life going to be any better by participating? Well, that hopefully most people make those decisions regarding their money and their investments. Well, I don't and not think even so. just riding around crypto. They don't. Most people don't. What's this investment actually going to mean to me? They just look at the returns. What the, the hype? They, they hear they, about they, their they, friends they're making all this money. Anyway, all right. And when the reason we're talking about this is not because I bet most of you do not have money in a stable coin, but it's just a reminder to. to Look, this guy was a surgeon. That's Smart, amazing. highly educated. Well, highly educated in, hopefully, in medicine. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully in medicine. And just because you're, you're brilliant in one area does not mean you're going to be brilliant when it comes to investments. That's right. So let's take the calls. If you'd like to join the show, <laughs> 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-999-6784. And if you call in and we, we don't, put you on the air immediately we will schedule a time to have you on our show and we i was we, just reminded we've been doing this show a long time years ago we're in the radio and we're just we're joking and we call and one of us said and for the first three callers we're going to send you an oven mint <laughs> like from the fifth like 1960s or something and we have people calling another oven mint. i'm like an oven mitt i guess people like free stuff yeah for the first three callers, you, you, you can go to the you can go to the Costco and get free samples. <laughs> All right, let's uh, talk to Kevin in California. Kevin, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Hey guys, thanks for taking my call. I wanted to ask about uh, I guess what I'll call fixed income investing. Um, I have a rollover IRA now that's sitting in cash, and I want to invest in. Um, probably CDs. I've had a situation in the past similar to this where I put it into um, a short-term bond fund that was mostly uh, U.S. Treasuries and some corporates. But, um, you know, there's a certain amount of, um, I guess, interest rate risk with that. Mm -hmm. Um, My understanding is um, it's different from putting it directly into an instrument because, you know, the fund might have withdrawals and stuff. But in any event, um, I'm looking at... um, buying CDs through a pretty well-known uh, uh, financial house. I won't mention the name, but some people sometimes refer to it as Chuck. Um, okay. So that's, that's what where are the, the IRA is. What are the yields on, what are the current yields that you've been researching on these CDs? Well, here's what's interesting. If I, uh, without mentioning another name, a big retail bank here, um, if I buy this through their fixed income screen on a two-year, I can get a yield of 2.85. If I go over to the retail side for the same big, you know, online yeah, yeah, bank, different. it's about two. So I want to make sure my main question is I want to make sure I'm not missing anything um, in terms of the risks here. Um, that's kind of where I need. Look, your as long as I mean, it is, if any time you buy a CD, as long as it's. Uh... Uh, a, a U.S. chartered bank, financial institution, you've got FDIC insurance on it of 250000 If you've got accounts held right. a joint or trust, 500000 or more. So it's, it's, who, yeah, you could kind of care less. It's actually, yeah, it would be, uh, uh, it would be you, um, uh, you times multiplied times the number of beneficiaries times 250000 is the coverage that you have on that account, not to exceed $2 million. Um, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm wondering if I'm missing anything well, and I'm getting the money. Yeah. yeah, here's what you're missing. Might, you want to be, I'm going to be really direct. You're 67 yeah. years old. These are retirement dollars. Why, you, why do you want to have it all in CDs? Or is it all in CDs? Well, no, this is, um, this is completely separate from my 401k, which I would kind of term as more the investment portfolio. Okay. Um, what I'm asking about now is kind of a liquidity portfolio. Um, Held for, you know, um, paying off debt, you okay. know, medium term maybe. Um, so they're more liquid funds. So um, why are you looking at the two-year? Well, I'd probably do a ladder. Um, I'd probably do, you know, 20% um, would be – that'd be the longest I'd go would be two-year. And I'd go shorter, um, you know, ratchet down. So, it'd okay. be, you know, 20, 20, 20. What about just using T-bill? Know. How much is in it? How much is in this This portion of your it's, retirement it's about it's in the mid six figures um in this liquidity portfolio um i, I think what I about using t-bills but yeah i mean a two-year two-year treasury is about two and a half percent yeah i don't understand the spread well, between you said two and 2.85 on the cd oh one's marketed with the same bank one market it's through a, um, a brokerage 
and one is a directive you just walked into the yeah lounge. which one pays the which higher amount retail the definitely the one through the brokerage that again it's about two percent for a two year um in this if you go the retail route and if you go the retail route in naira i'd have to split it between different banks so mechanically it's a lot more complicated than to keeping it all um, oh i understand understand you know, that where it is in this brokerage account. Uh, understand yeah. that I, um i can just tell you so you don't care whether it's treasuries or cds um, they all act exactly the same. You just want the highest Except interest. Except uh, early withdrawal, if you need the cash early. Versus a market uh, rate withdrawal. On That's a, correct. But we're, we're making the assumption. Oh, all right, Scott. I'm going to give <laughs> <Okay>. you that. <laughs> okay. and I mean, at least with the well, CD, CDs you... don't fluctuate in value. So you put in 100000 exactly. you're guaranteed tomorrow. It's not, I don't know. Yeah, so. Uh, I mean, I don't think over the next... I would I would ladder 6, 12, 18, 24, 25% in each, and I'd either buy CDs or I'd buy treasuries, and it wouldn't and it doesn't have to be the same across the whole thing either. You can buy a six month right. treasury and a twelve month CD, and then they're both like, they're month. both insured by the same institution, it, the U.S. Yeah. government. So look, I just I just redeploy I redeployed some of my cash personally a few months ago, and the rates on the treasuries were significantly higher than the rates on the CDs. But if you're finding well, otherwise, check that, yeah. but if you're finding yeah. otherwise, it's not going to make a bit of difference. And by the way, these were CDs that were coming due in my portfolio that I moved to treasury. So I couldn't and, care. And I guess they probably weren't in your retirement account. There was money that you might need in the short term. For that is obligation. right. Actually, they are obligations I've already made towards uh, investments that will be called at some point in time. But, um, yeah, yeah. So it doesn't matter. Just buy one or the other. I did. I did want to ask about early withdrawal because that seems to be one key difference. Is if you go the retail route, you forfeit some interest if you withdraw early. With these, what I understand, talking to the brokerage is, um, if you want to get out of one of these early, then you basically you have it. to sell it. So right. there's more market rate, which is fine. I'm I'm fine with that. It's the same thing as um, a treasury. So they just can turn around and and resell it. So it's the same thing. They're just matching maturities behind the door. So it doesn't matter to you just one or the other, whatever pays the highest interest rate on that time. Yep. And then you go with it. Totally agree with that. You don't worry about it. So That is the most risk-free portion of your portfolio. You should, yes, you should have designs for those monies in the short term. Two years or less. Yeah, within the next couple of years. Less than five years. Yeah. Yeah. That's because that's the appropriate investment for short-term uh, investments. Uh, yeah. Let's uh, go to Illinois. We're talking with Curtis. Hi, Curtis. You're with Allworth Money Matters. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Thank you. What can we do for you? I wanted to see if me and my wife were uh, set up for uh, retirement. I'm 57. My wife is 61. Um, she hasn't worked in several years. Uh, I'm the only one that works right now. Make approximately $70,000 a year. Uh, we have $295,000 in IRA. We have about $532,000 in um, uh, CDs, MIGAs, uh, cash, and then we have other uh, properties and so forth and so on. But I just wanted to see if we were you know, situated to retire at this time. Well, when you say other properties, do you have income-producing properties? Do you have rentals or commercial properties? No, we have a $1.1 million home here in Chicago that's paid off for. I have business. Uh, I have a business that my end is worth about 150000 I have another uh, house in Florida that's worth approximately 370000 and I owe $76,000 on that. Why? Uh, what's the interest rate on that, um, Florida? Two point eight seven five. And you've got money in cash. You said five hundred and thirty-two. Yes. All right. Tomorrow, I want you to pull up that money out of cash and pay off that mortgage down in Florida. Okay. So right. you retire? Is, is so Florida is the plan to keep this long term? The house in Florida and stay in Chicago. What's the plan? Well. I- that, I'm sorry. That's that's another thing. We wanted to build a new house in Florida for like you know anywhere from seven hundred seven fifty thousand seven hundred seven hundred fifty thousand, and then sell the the current house down there and sell our property up here in okay. Chicago and then use that to purchase the house down ah. there and did, invest the other amount. Were you making more money earlier in your career, or did you inherit some money? Uh, she she inherited property, and I inherited some property too. Okay, and. 
how much did you inherit in property? Mine is the business that's like hundred fifty thousand dollars. And the and you say one fifty, it's the business is worth one fifty or spins off cash of one fifty. That's my that's my end of it. I have uh it's actually the property that I own. That's the end of the property. Okay. It's worth one fifty. If you were to sell it, you would get hundred fifty thousand for it. Right, correct. It, does it provide any income? Not at this time. So if you I'm trying to so if you retired, let's say you were today, after this call, you got off and you're like, I'm out of here. You you quit your job. Where's your income coming from in retirement? Well, that's 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 the problem. We'd have to figure out how to invest the money for the future so that we could make a significant amount of money to you know retire off of. Plus, we would still we figure we both get two part time jobs <clears throat> and, and just use that for spending money for the first four or five years. That's that's our plan. Got it. Well, look, if we just did some quick math. Your around your net worth is around two point. Four million dollars, um, net of yeah, that it's about yeah, it's about two three net of debt. You spend seven hundred thousand dollars on a home that puts you at a million six and a million six. If I start taking income of a million uh, of four percent off a million six, right? Uh, what do we got there? Sixty, sixty some, grand, yeah. sixty. Uh, Throwing social security in in a couple years. Yeah, you can retire. You can do this. Uh, on one caveat, here's my concern. Yes. You've got th- roughly 300000 in the IRA. I'm assuming that's invested more than just CDs, or is that really conservative? Oh, yes. Yeah, that's it's, that's all. It's, some of that's mine. Some of it's all aggressive. Okay. okay. And I guess my concern is when I look at your uh, of you roughly 800000 in in liquid assets, 300000 in growth, and five hundred thousands in ultra conservative. So, so in you order should be- to make this work, by the time you go through the transition, have the new house, and get rid of the other properties, what I, you, you need to have a portfolio that's got a longer term time horizon on, and have the the gumption to withstands the ups and the ups and downs in the market. Yeah. So you need probably at least fifty percent equity when you're all done with this. Uh, okay. Right. In that, and then you pay cash. Yeah, but out- my my opinion. That would be that is your biggest risk. It's inflation. How you react to the markets is, I would state, your biggest risk. Oh, how he because okay. you've got so much set up in CDs and cash. But Scott, we don't know whether that's new money or old money or what. My guess that's is some. Old, that's that's all. That's that's that you, money is all. You guys are incredible savers. Well, that's that's part of the thing that it's. It's part of the ultra conservativeness to it too. Probably could have saved a lot more, but we've. She's conservative. No, she. I'm conservative. She's ultra conservative, and you know, after the 2008, 2009, 2010, I'm, you know, I'm getting to that point where I'm a little paranoid too. Yeah, about losing Scott, a significant amount of money at this point. Scott here is uh, kind of smug, sitting across the I'm table. Not smug, smug, because he called this one right, which is he looked at this portfolio. I'm just and looking said, at the way your assets are. And I'm thinking this guy's afraid of the markets. Yeah, a little too afraid of the markets. Um, yeah, I, I would, I would say, I would say, yes, I, I call it the parachute method. I just want to get that first three, four years under my belt in retirement. And then, like I said, start putting uh, more money, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So the, 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 let's try a middle ground here. $400,000 after all these transactions are done and you buy a place in Florida, $400,000 of your net worth should be tied up in equities. And then you should let that ride okay. for the next 15 years. You should never look at a statement. You should have a well-diversified portfolio. Um, and uh, at, at one point, uh, if your income has been 70000 a year, you're used to living off that. And 1.5, yeah. uh, you know, a million and a half bucks should be able to make it. You should be able to retire. On Plus that. Social Security yeah, yeah. in five years for you and one year for your wife on the early side of it. So you're fine. You yeah, can do this. Yeah, she's at twenty four hundred, and I'm about the same for if we do it at wait till seventy for Social Security. So, uh, so the things that we need to worry about is the tax ramifications on uh, the sales of the property, because you may have some due on the Chicago property, depending upon what you paid for it. You might have something due on the Florida property, depending upon how you use that um, that property. But other than that. And most certainly you would have some tax ramifications on the sale of the business, it sounds like, unless you inherit it with a relatively high cost basis. But yes. on the surface, 
It looks good. I'd hire a, a good accountant or go a, get a, a good financial or, or at a minimum a good financial advisor. I'd sit down. With, I mean, you, you run the numbers with a good financial advisor. Do some what if scenarios, and you can see the impact on the differences. If 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 your investments are only making what inflation is, or if your investments are making something more, you can see the impact that has in in income, in in, in family income through your time. And I but, think. It could be helpful, but and just but tomorrow, just pay off that mortgage in Florida, even though it might be for the short term, you'll be fine. Yeah, even for the short term. We're taking a quick break. Uh, you're listening to All Worth's Money Matters with Scott Hansen and Pat McLean. Can't get enough of All Worth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com/slash radio to listen to the Money Matters podcast. Welcome back to All Worth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen. Pat McLean. I'm actually pretty excited about our uh, guest we've got coming on because three decades of doing what we do in financial planning and investment management, it's, it's, people, it's how people react that has a bigger impact. Well, the last caller we were talking about, I think the, <laughs> I said that your biggest challenge is not the markets, it's you, right? And he, and he went back to... 2008. So he quoted something that happened 15 years ago that has affected his Correct. decision yeah. making ever since. And it's going to have an impact on his future if he doesn't figure it out. Yeah. And by the way, 15 years ago, he he may had uh, had an all tech portfolio completely unbalanced. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> so we're joined by psychologist Hal Hirschfield, and Hal is a professor of marketing and behavioral decision making at UCLA's Anner School of Business Management. And he studies how thinking about time transforms the emotions and alters the judgments and the decisions that people make. And his research concentrates on the psychology of long-term decision-making and how time affects people's lives, specifically at a moment when Americans are living longer and they're saving less. Hal, welcome to All Worth Money Matters. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Yeah. How did you, how did you get into the study that you're you're in obviously you were fascinated yeah. by it. something probably happened in your yeah. life tell us about your journey into becoming <laughs> was it a poor financial decision that caused you to be <laughs> introspective and try to fix yourself doctor <laughs> well, well you know there's this thing called me search right where people only study the things that they can't do themselves right so uh <laughs> well in reality uh you know, I started doing a lot of this work, uh, well, it was about 2007 or so, eight, somewhere around there. And I, you know, this was around the time that, that everything was going south, like you said, or, you know, the, or at least the, the start of it. Uh, and um, I was in a conversation with my advisor. This is back when I was in grad school. And she had said, you know, psychologists don't do enough when it comes to thinking about how to help people with retirement. And, and we really need to. Uh, and I, you know, I've, I've, I've told this before to, to other folks, but I, I was, I was so bored <laughs> by the idea of, of retirement. You know, I was in my mid twenties at the time and she said, well, that's exactly the problem. It is. <laughs> it's just boring for, for people like you, you know. Well, come on. When you're young <laughs> and getting in your start in your career, you're, you should be excited about your career and the whole concept of stepping out of the career yeah. to do nothing should sound boring. Yeah, you, you're you're absolutely right about that. And yet, you know, when it's framed that way, then it makes it that much harder to stop and say, "Let me take, let me take some of these precious earnings I have right now and and move them aside for later." You really do have to think about your future self, there, don't you? To, in order to get that sort of discipline. Yeah, that's right. That's and that that's largely been the focus of a lot of my my work over the last you know, however many years or so now, and it, and it's. It's exceedingly hard to do, um, and, and you know, you, yeah, we always we all turn into that person. We uh, become our future selves at some point, um, but you know, they're off in the distance, and it's easy to kind of know they're going to be there, but not really connect with them or do things that'll that'll help them out. You, you know, as, as you talk about this. Uh, I've, I've, I've been a pretty good saver my whole entire life. My first job out of college, I started saving 15% mm -hmm. of my income day one, but it wasn't, wow. it was, it, it, what was driving me was fear. It wasn't mm. right. Is that, I'm not going to ask you if that's healthy, but it was fear because 
Um, the worst thing I ever thought was, man, if you get to 60 or 65 and you just don't have a lifestyle, um, how do people like approach this retirement, especially in their twenties, thirties, early forties, like how do you get someone to save more money? Yeah. I mean, everything you're saying, by the way, is, is, is relevant and interesting. Right. And I, I would, I don't know when your, you know, your first job at a, at a college was, but you know, fear is relevant when, when fear in the markets and, you know, sort of instability is something that's recently happened. Um, you know, so, so part of the answer to your question is it depends on the timing. Um, you know, graduates, college graduates from 08, 09, you know, 2010, that sort of period of time, they're a lot more cautious uh, than, than, you know, prior years, uh, college graduates. And we, you know, we might imagine we'll see something similar around now. So I wasn't, I was afraid of not having money. The markets have never bothered me just because intellectually I understand. But people don't always make decisions intellectually, right? Well, right. intellectually, I understand <laughs> that I should ignore, uh, uh, intellectually, I understand I should ignore my emotions regarding these investments. The, in, the investment doesn't right. know that I own right. it. Right, right. Well, and of and of course, you know, you're probably an outlier. The fact, <laughs> the fact that you're hosting this show uh, makes you somewhat unrepresentative, you know. But a lot of other people uh, are driven by the sort of recent emotions, and and you know, and yet I'm sure that there are some who who think in terms of what you're talking about, right? Which is, uh, it you know, psychologists call it more of a preventative mindset. Um, you know, you want to prevent the the possibility of something negative happening. And there's others who are more of a promotion mindset. They're, you know, they they want to save because they're looking forward to the good things to come. Um, but I would say you're probably somebody. I'm guessing. You know, you you can tell me if I'm wrong. Who's always been a little bit more connected to, you know, to the future, to the long run, and maybe there's a rational slash you know like intellectual component of Got this it. for you. I appreciate uh, that. Though that's not true for <laughs> did everybody. You, did, did you just refer to my partner here as rational and intellectual both? <laughs> I appreciate that. I've worked with them a long time. Are you sure you got the right show? I'll, I'll take I'll take that payment anytime. That most fine. So is it is it uh, is it recency bias? Is that and and how long does it take to wear off? In terms of you know we go through a downturn in the market and then all of a sudden you know I, it, this frames me forever. Does that change over time or or what causes it to change? And why do people continually make why the same mistakes? Like why are we seeing you know beanie babies and then it was some other thing? It was meme stocks and now it's digi it's spacs and then it's you know cryptocurrencies. They they all seem to have the same I'm common theme. That, that will always be the case. Yep, exactly, exactly. Um, now, you know, you asked how long this lasts for. That, that, that's, a, that's a fantastic question. You know, one of the things we do know is that um, events that occur during the really, you know, call it sort of growth periods, the vulnerable periods of our lives, especially like when we're younger and we're just starting out, those are things that stick with us for a long time. Psychologists call this the reminiscence bump. Um, the idea is that, you know, we we sort of pay special attention to our sort of first experiences. You know, the, the, the music that was popular when we were sort of becoming an adult, the trends that were popular, the fashions that were popular. And I would bet some of the market forces that were, you know, dominant as well. Um, that's a period of time when we're sort of particularly attuned to the world and what's happening in it then sticks with us. So I don't have a concrete answer as to, you know, how long the availability bias last for. But I would suspect that market forces that are happening right when people are starting their workforce really impact them for some time to come. It's interesting how uh, we, we've both been uh, financial advisors for 30 plus years. And mm -hmm. y years ago, I'd yeah. hear, well, my parents grew up in the depression. And it was always like, yep. it was always like they'd <laughs> frame it on the depression. I don't hear that much anymore, maybe because that's getting further and further behind us. But, um, but yeah. to your point, it's really interesting that these it, it, as advisors, when we're trying to determine kind of a risk tolerance that somebody has, how much comfort they can withstand, mm -hmm. and so we, we instead of 
just trying to figure out, well, how fast do you drive when it rains out or whatever. It's really trying to understand how did they react during the financial crisis? What was going on in their lives? What changes did they make? Right? Um, And I think that's exactly right. You know, psychologists know that the idea of the risk profile is such a hard thing to determine because – we have different domains of our lives. You know, we have we have adventure and sports and we have driving and we also have financial decisions. And we may be risky in one and relatively conservative in another. And so I think your strategy of saying, well, how did that crisis impact you? What did you do then? That's probably the easiest way to get there than, than some other sort of general profile. Now, you're, all, you're, you're known for an experiment that you did that involved people that have confronted mm-hmm. their, their future selves. Uh, can you explain what you did and what you found yeah. out through that process? Yeah, sure. Sure, sure, sure. So, you know, I mean, this is going back to what we were talking about earlier. We, um, you know, recognize that one of the reasons that people have a hard time with these sorts of decisions, these long-term decisions, the exact stuff we're talking about right now, is because they they really have a hard time connecting with and identifying with uh, their distant self. Um, and so we, you know, we decided to to, have, to try to provide some sort of workaround there. We gave people what I call a, an imagination aid. Um, we basically showed them what they would look like in the future. We showed them these age progressed images. You know, we've done of this themselves? in all sorts of contexts. One of them was a, yeah, of themselves exactly. So we, you know, this is a little hokey. When we did this, this was back when I was doing the work. It was back in 2009, 2010. And we, you know, we had to work with a graphic artist and there was some off the shelf software, but it, you know, it wasn't perfect. I actually think my, my, my age self, you know, that I've printed out, I think it looks good. My wife says it's unrealistic. <laughs> of course you think it looks good. <laughs> it's funny because I'm 55 and if you would have told me when I was 25, I was going to look this bad. I don't know what the other chances are. Hey, uh, Dr. Hirschfield, I got a question in, in the future, in my future self, will I have more friends? <laughs> so I continue on, continue on with this now. Yeah. I'll go to my crystal ball there. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, we, we showed people these, these age progressed images. We did it in a virtual reality setting where they sort of walk around a room and they look at a mirror and staring back at them as their future self. We also did it online. We've recently done this sort of thing with a big bank down in Mexico showing people, um, you know, older images of themselves. And, 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 you know, what we find is that when you do that, it, it helps people identify uh, with the future and in so much as, well, they're more willing to make investments, long-term investments. Uh, and that's both sort of with, you know, imaginary money, but, you know, we also find it with real dollars and cents as well. Um, and, you know, the, the bottom line here is I think we're, we're just adding some more color and detail to something that's pretty vague. But uh, so here's what I find you interesting. Know, yeah. So in, in times of financial stress, like we're, maybe we're in now and markets are down. Yeah. Rational people have a tendency. They, they see their future self being broke. Right. So they looked yep. at their portfolio. They said, oh, my gosh, my portfolio is down. I remember years ago, one guy came in, he had a spreadsheet. He was going to be out of money in 14 months. Yeah. Because yeah, if he, it kept everything kept declining 8% a month or whatever it was. Right. He, that's that was that's what his thought process mm-hmm. were. And so like you can look at all the historical data and whatnot, but something in themselves is that it's just fear of being yep. broke. And that's why they make these poor choices. There's a disconnect. Yeah, it's it's really a disconnect. It's I, I find this such an interesting and scary problem, you know. And I think you know p- part of the, part of the problem here is that we tend to overweight the present. Um, you know, everything that's happening right now feels like it's more important than the stuff that happened before. It's more important than the things that'll happen in the future. And we and we you know we overapply it. We think it's going to always be this way. Um, and, you know, and it's you know the the irony, of course, right? Is you know we've seen time and time and time again. And of course, I can't. <laughs> make any predictions about now but we see time and time again that when you you know when you stay in you, you do better over time uh than than when you sort of exit out at, at at the bottom and and miss out on those gains right i mean we you know the classic case of course is all the gains that happen it you know and after the the 08 financial crisis or even or even in 2020 right if you had exited yeah. in march 2020 you would have missed out on a lot and we know this um but it's so hard to keep all that in mind because that that's sort of bland and it feels like uh, you know like a fact. Uh, but what's happening right now is is colorful and it's emotional and 
and it's scary and we sort of over project and we say, well, it's going to be this way in the future. What if it stays this way and I'll be out of money? That's going to be really bad. Uh, but the flip, you know, is also pretty bad when you get out and you, and, and then you're worse off than if you just stayed in. And do you think it's, do you think it's psychologically people feel better because they're doing some action? So it's an investment advisor. Yeah. We believe that. And so when we have clients that <laughs> you do a little yeah. tiny, you do a little tweak, you do a little tweak <laughs> just to make them feel good, just to, to yeah. the clients are yeah. right. But, but you don't throw the them. ones that demand. So they want to get out. You don't want them to get out. So you do a little minor tweak. That's yeah. really change the portfolio. And, much. And, and so there's a psychological, you know, they feel good about it because they acted in some form or fashion that they believe was in their mind, rational, that was going to make their situation better. But, is that i mean is that a i I love it i love it and you know you know why i love it because and i suspect a lot of people and you know intuitively know this but lots of research has shown that we regret inaction more than we regret action um you know when you when you when you don't act it's like the, the all the possibilities are there but when you do, it's like you did you did one thing, and okay, this is what you did, and it's 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 harder to regret that. And so I, you know, I, I'm curious if people kind of know that on some internal level. And so if they do something that feels a little better for them, and they they maybe they suspect that it'll feel better, you know, down the line looking back on now, uh, than if they do nothing. So I, I love your sort of minor tweak strategy there. <laughs> I think yeah. it's great. Well, it's, it's, well, it's not maybe just. I mean, it, a lot of physicians will give some prescriptions. Yeah. I know the person's going to be fine in a week, but here you go. If it makes you feel better. Yeah, our job is to keep the clients invested. Yeah, well, and as we like to say, the worst, oftentimes the worst thing that can happen to a portfolio is not the portfolio. It's how the client reacts to the portfolio. Yeah. Yeah. But by the way, you brought up physicians. My favorite prescription is OB-Calp. Uh, and if you... Uh, it's what? It's a real prescription that some doctors give. It's OB-Calp. And if you... Uh, if you if you turn that around backwards, it just stands for it's placebo. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't discount the placebo. There's enough uh, studies to show the placebo is going to work. Well, um, listen, exactly, exactly. This has been a fascinating conversation, um, and you do have a, a book coming out on uh, soon about befriending your future self. We're uh, we're interested in uh, possibly getting you back on uh, yeah. the uh, podcast when that um, comes out. Um, is there a way for people to follow you now? For those that found you interesting, yeah, you can just go to my website, Hal Hirsch, HalHirschfield.com, and and my you know all my stuff is there. But yeah, I look forward to a great great um, conversation, and uh, I really appreciate. And it. real quick before you go, so you're a professor at UCLA. How much? How many hours yeah. a week do you spend with uh, students in like lecturing and stuff? Ooh, yeah, it's a good question. Uh, it, it averages out to about. Uh, this quarter called about 12, 12 hours in class. I would, I would say oh, a week. A week. Yeah. That's quite a bit because I, well, I just find yeah, interesting. This is a very busy when, when you're, when you're, you know, a lot of your work is on this kind of future self and all these students are in grad yeah. school, presumably because yeah. <laughs> they're thinking of, these are people that are definitely thinking about their future and their future self. Yeah, that, that's right. So I, I get a, I get a sort of a, a, a nice slice of the interesting slice of the population in, a, in that regard, you know, but, but at the same time, a lot of them still have the same, they still get pulled in by the present. You know, I remember uh, when, you know, when COVID was just starting, I was in class, you know, whatever that was that March 9th, you know, right before things shut down. And that particular quarter, I was teaching a lot of students that were going into finance and a number of them had this kind of pale look and they, as they were thinking about their internships drying up yes. and it was, you know, it's scary because right. everything that's happening right now, <laughs> it's hard well, to imagine it'll be otherwise. And right? it's interesting how, when you talk about how these different, um, reminiscence bump, I think you call it like, so my oldest daughter was in grad mm -hmm. school, her final semester in sports psychology. Well, you know what happened in the sports world, right? <clears throat> so she, that what yeah. she had lined up dried up, and yeah. my son was graduating Boston College that semester. He lost his oh, wow. job. Um, he was, was supposed to be international travel stuff, which so everything just the whole family. <laughs> <laughs> those, are, those are two very good industries for that. I yeah. know. Finance worse. <laughs> finance actually turned out pretty well. <laughs> so uh, we oh, we do appreciate you uh, joining us, and uh, if you'd like to, you can find. Uh, Dr. Hershfield on his website. So, yeah. Hey, thanks so much. Appreciate you joining us. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right. See you. I think we got time for, uh, let's do uh, one more call. 
And let's talk with Gary in California. Gary with Allworth's Money Matters. So I'd like you guys to kind of drill down a little bit on that uh, Reddit GameStop short squeeze that occurred last year. You know, shorts have been going on for a long time, and short squeezes is nothing new. And a big hedge fund that would short a particular stock could have been squeezed by another big hedge fund. Uh-huh. And that could have just kind of squashed that whole that short market. But what specifically did that hedge fund mess up on that allowed crowdsourcing and Reddit to, to crush them? Oh, I, well, the, the pro- details are escaping me on that. Okay, so let's for, – for the rest of the listeners, let's explain kind of what happened with the with – it, it, you know, we we could use GameStop as an example, or we could use another of the meme stocks out there. But primarily, the vehicle that they that they were using this crowd or social uh, influence in order to actually press the stock one way or the other. Yeah, and the Wall Street Journal had a pod, like a four or five series podcast on this very topic, which is pretty interesting. I think you probably find it on their on their website somewhere still. But <clears throat> when somebody shorts a security. If you wanted to short a security, Gary, essentially you borrow that security from somebody else, which there's a cost there, and then you then you go out and sell it in the marketplace. And so what, and that, what the hope is – What that means is if I open up a brokerage account and inside of that brokerage stock account, Fidelity, Charles Schwab, TD, you name it, Merrill Lynch, Morgan, and I own GameStop, I – wittingly or unwittingly give them the ability to actually take that stock out of my account and lend it to someone yeah. else. So Pat owns game stock. Let's say I go to borrow it with the same brokerage firm. I borrow the stock. Now I I've got it for a period of time. I have to put up collateral and I have to have, there's certain requirements I have to meet. Otherwise Pat's going like, to, the, the brokerage firm is going to say, we need that. You got to give us the stock back. We, we're, we're not sure you're going to be able to cover this position. If the pr- price goes. So you would sell short a stock betting that the price was going to go down because then you could buy it back in the market at a better price, a lower price, give it back to the original owner of it, and you make a profit. So Scott would borrow this GameStop from me at $10 a share and then hope the price drops and then return it at something less than that at some point in the future. So this is a short position. By the way, I just remember this was always fascinating to me in getting the securities exams years and years and years ago, that the exposure in a short play... Unlimited. Technically, it's unlimited. It it could be if infinity if the stock would only go up forever and ever and ever. But it's unlimited. So, But if a stock rises rapidly, what happens is the, the borrower may not have enough capital, I mean, a, a collateral... At, at the bank. So what the bank says, hey, look, the price is going up. You had some equity here. You no longer have equity. It's been wiped out. You need to put some more cash in here to maintain your your your, your Or capital. we're going to start actually selling off this position. Oh, and any other position you have in your portfolio that may not be related at all to GameStop. So what happens is in this, it was a bizarre thing in this meme world, you know, all of a sudden it looks like there's a bunch of shorts on it and these bunch of guys get together on Reddit and they're like, let's mess with these short sellers. Now, this has happened for years and years and years uh, among hedge funds or large institutional investors where they will squeeze each other in a trade just to see how, you know, how much hand they could pull on someone else. But this was the first time that we had ever seen where they actually use social media, Reddit, in order to actually get people to buy more of it, more of it, more of it. And all of a sudden, these guys were getting short squeezed out of the positions, which means they were either unable to post any more collateral or unable or not did not want to post any more collateral against those positions. And then all of a sudden, those stocks are actually bought back at a higher um, number than what they borrowed it at and then returned it to the original holder of the stock. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally follow that. I'm just wondering what the Reddit people saw or oh. the uh, the uh, opposing hedge funds missed that drove this oh. engine, or if it was just completely... Well, I think the hedge funds missed... They miss that there's this whole underground world where people are talking on their computer screens all day long and banding together and saying, hey, because the, from, from the outsider's perspective, like the, the company is like, how is this? 
games yeah. it's all distributed digitally like who goes to these games these yeah. local stores the retail anymore? thing right people thought they were on death's door and yeah. i think even the people who are buying the stock <laughs> might have believed that and, and so what happened is they did a technical analysis of that position in the stock and said there's no way in the world that this is worth what they're saying it's it's the same thing you can do. Try to do a technical analysis of the earnings of Bitcoin and tell me what it's worth. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Right? Yeah. It doesn't earn yeah. anything, right? And this GameStop was just nothing but um, a substitute, essentially, for a Bitcoin. All we are all that the Reddit people, and when you say Reddit people, I'm going to include my kids in this, my children, because two out of my four. Children played the GameStop. They played the games. I'm like, how do you play the GameStop? And how do you play these meme stocks? And they're like, you got to watch it really, really, really close to Reddit. And the first whiff of anything negative. I'm just laughing because you, I think it was last week you said that your daughter, uh, who has a bunch of index funds, has outperformed. You got see three other, you're the boys there. She's the only one that doesn't have a degree in business, too. <laughs> anyway, so that's what happened is they the, the the hedge funds and the institutional investors didn't give any credibility that the stock could move based upon a, a social posting and influencers. They were only looking at the fundamentals of the stock. And by every account, they were right. The GameStop fundamentals did not support the price, but it didn't stop the price from going higher either. So they will, everyone, right. that's why Wall, the Wall Street Journal did a It's a great podcast. podcast. It was like four or five um, because podcasts. Because what it did is, is it changed investing fundamentally forever. Anyway, appreciate the call, Gary. And that is all the time we've got. It's always been great being here with you. It's been, um, hope you found this informative. And we'll see you next week. All Worth's Money Matters with Scott Hansen and Pat McLean. This program has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence.